Thanks for being here today. It's great to get to worship God together. I love that song. I love the reminder to run to the Father and the fact that he runs to us. It's such a beautiful picture. Hey, if you're new here, my name is Adam. I'm one of the pastors at First Free Church. Thanks for being with us today. We would love to get to know you, connect with you. Just go to efree.org slash connect on your phone and let us know you're here. And we'll try to answer any questions that you have, get you plugged in here at the church. It has been great the last few weeks since I've been back from my sabbatical to meet all kinds of new people that have been coming in the last couple of months, and a lot of them are already getting involved, and they're enrooted, and they're in our connect group, and they're serving in different places, so we're super thankful for that, and love for you to be a part of that community here. We're going through a series right now called Created to Connect, God's Design for Intimacy and Gender. We've been talking a lot about intimacy and relationships. We've been talking a whole lot about sex. You'll be happy to know that today is not going to be all about sex, so you, know, you don't need to, to keep a tally or anything like that. My son tallied it up uh, one Sunday, I think it was over 50 times that I said that he was keeping track of everything. But that's not what today is about, because today is going to be about something entirely different. Some of the most important decisions that we have to make in life come during a certain season of life. And so to make things a little fun, I want to kick things off with a bit of an exercise. In fact, this is an exercise where you're going to get to learn something about the people around you. And if your significant other, if your spouse is here, you're going to learn some things about them. Okay. So don't be scared. It's not going to be that, that crazy, but we're going to ask you some questions. If you had to make choices, what choice would you make? And we're going to learn who would choose what thing, okay? So let's put the first one up on the screen. It's going to be Lion's Choice or Panera, okay? Two St. Louis favorites. Lion's Choice. How many of you would choose that shaved roast beef and cheddar cheese over Panera? Anybody? How many of you would choose Panera over Lion's Choice? Anybody? Okay, I think that's a, a clear preference there. I'm in the Panera category. Let's put the next one up there. If you had to drive five hours or fly five hours, what would you prefer? How many of you would say, I want to drive five hours? I like the road trip, okay? How many of you would rather fly five hours if you had to get somewhere? All right, very interesting. Okay, we're learning some stuff here. Let's make this a little more personal, get into some deeper things. Okay, next one, coffee or tea? How many of you prefer coffee? Okay, how many of you prefer tea? Yeah, all right, so a, a vocal minority is our tea lovers. I get it. Let's do another one. If you would rather read a book or watch a movie, how many of you say book all the way? I want to read. Okay, good for you people. What about movie? Yeah, I figured that as a lot of us just want to shut the brain off and, and have the imagination delivered to us on a platter right on the screen, right? I get it. You don't have to make that stuff up in your mind. It takes work. All right, how many of you would rather take the stairs instead of an elevator? You're stairs people, you're fit, good for you, God bless you. How many of you, this changes over time, doesn't it, would rather take the elevator? Anybody like, yeah, I used to be a stairs person, but not anymore. Um, would you rather listen to music or listen to a podcast or audiobook? How many of you would rather listen to music? Anybody? Okay. How many of you would rather have someone speak into your ear from a podcast or an audiobook? Okay. All right. That says something about you. Let's do one more. Uh, this is an interesting one. Would you rather cook at home or eat out? So how many of you, and I know this is going to be tricky because there's a lot of caveats to this. Am I making the meal? Is my spouse making the meal? I, I get all that. Just take it how you will. Would you rather cook at home? Any, how many of you cook at home people? Okay. Oh boy. Oh boy. Boy, this is very different than the early service. How many of you would rather eat out? Wow. Okay. All right. Maybe there's just more women in this service. I don't know what it is, but 
That was a, a dynamic result. I know those are not the toughest decisions we have to make in life. Some of those can be pretty hard, even if you're trying to decide where to go out to eat. You know, picking a spot that everyone is going to agree on can be a difficult thing. But we're going to talk about a time in our life when we have some very difficult choices to make. And that has to do with your season of singleness. Everyone has a season of singleness, and this series is all about relationships and intimacy, and one of the biggest decisions we have to make is, how am I going to partner up with someone? Am I going to partner up with someone? What does that look like? Who do I look for? How do I do that? And so today, we're going to take a look at dating and singleness. So I know that this is going to have varying degrees of relevance for people who are in the room or watched online right now. Some of you are in a season of singleness right now. Some of you may have been for a very long time, and, and that may be where you will stay. Some of you are looking for a partner. Some of you have found your partner. And even still, I think there will be some principles we talk about today that will be valuable for you. So dating and singleness is where we're going to be today. And we're going to start where we've started for most of the messages in this series already, back in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2. We're going to begin there as our foundation for the message. And really what we're going to see here is the shortest courtship in human history. Okay? So this is Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. Here's what we see. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So the Lord God formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs. He closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man at last, the man exclaimed. And then he broke out into some poetry here. He says, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman. Because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one or literally one flesh. We talked last week about how God looked at the man and acknowledged he is incomplete. Something is needed here. He was designed to be relational. He was designed to have a partner. And yet there's no partner for him. So Adam has this very disappointing round of speed dating. Where he's just looking at all the options that are out there and finds there is no suitable partner for him. And then God puts him to sleep and he takes a piece out of him and he makes a woman. And when Adam wakes up, what he is greeted with is God bringing a naked woman to him. And Adam breaks out into poetry and says, at last, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He's very excited. And he understands immediately there's something special about this partner, partly because God just put him through that process of realizing that of all the things God had created, there was nothing that was designed to meet his need for relationship. And then there was, and it was special, and he valued it, and he cherished it. Since then, the desire to pair up has been pretty consistent throughout the human race, and it's not a bad thing. Proverbs 18.22 says, the man who finds a wife finds a treasure. And he receives favor from the Lord. So the desire to find a wife or to find a husband, to partner up in an exclusive relationship is something that God has designed for people to have. And that's the whole point of the animal parade in Genesis 2. It's to show you these did not fit and now there's one that fits. And then verse 24 says this explains, the whole reason for this, this explains why people partner up. It's something God designed for us to do. But as with everything God designed, 
Free people, ability to make choices, can mess that up. And we have found lots of different ways to mess that up. And that is why we need the wisdom that God provides us on how to partner up correctly, how to decide whether to partner up, how to decide who to partner up with. We need God's wisdom for how to do that. And that's what we're going to look at the rest of today. It's going to be kind of rapid fire. It's not going to be the normal type of message that we do, but this is the type of thing I hope that for those of you that are in a season of singleness or a season of dating will be very beneficial for you. Maybe even some things to dig into more, maybe something to just log in your mind and come back to later and watch the message again, you know, put it on 2X or something so you can get all the principles real quick. And even for those of us that are married, as I am right now, some principles that we can look at and say, hmm, a lot of that was a good reminder, but that one I really need to work on. That's something that I needed or I didn't hear before. So that's my hope for today's message. Before we go there, why don't we just bow our heads, close our eyes, focus on our Heavenly Father. Lord, we are so thankful for your word and, and the principles that it teaches us so that we can live a better life, so that we can honor and glorify you Lord, we want you to speak to us today. We want you to reveal areas in our lives where we need to surrender them to you. And we need you to come in and cleanse us and, and make us holy and make us whole. We need to look to you for our completion in life. God, I pray that you would speak to us today through the Bible and through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Let us get some things that we can take and apply in our lives and understand you and your design for us better. And in your name we pray, amen. So 1 Corinthians 7 is where we're going to live for a little bit here. And if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn there because we are going to reference back to this a few times and we won't always put it on the screen. So you may want to pull this up. We'll show it to you as we read through it initially. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to start in verse 6, read a few verses and then skip ahead a little bit because there's a very particular set of things I want you to see in here. And then we'll kind of walk through a bunch of principles for dating and singleness and other things like that. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 6. Paul, of course, is speaking here, and he says, I say this, what he's about to say, as a concession, not as a command. So this is a preference of Paul's. This is not a command from God. But I wish everyone were single, just as I am. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? Yet each person, he says, has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves... They should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now jump down to verse 25 with me. Now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I do not have a command from the Lord for them. So you see, he's going back and forth and in and out of this is my preference. This is a command from the Lord. So here we go. I do not have a command from the Lord for them, but the Lord in his mercy has given me wisdom that can be trusted and I will share it with you because of this present crisis. I think it is best to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. Not particularly helpful, is it? And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, those who get married at this time will have troubles, and I am trying to spare you those problems. But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short, so from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world as we know it will soon pass away. 
I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks he's treating his fiance improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if, if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiance does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single. And I think I am giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Let's close in prayer. Very helpful passage. I love how Paul goes back and forth between this is a concession. This is my preference. Here's a command from the Lord. Here's some advice. Here's some counter advice. Here's some advice that contradicts that. We're not going to get into to some of the questions of, of the textual consistency here, because really this is just Paul being vulnerable with us. He's sharing like, here are my thoughts. Here's my wisdom. But on the other hand, I'm not saying that you have to be restricted in this way. I don't want to place restrictions on you, but I want to give you some wisdom and some counsel and some guidance. And you know what jumps out at me the most in all of this is how big a fan Paul is of being single. This dude loves it. He loves being single. And why does he love it? Because it, it, according to him, it frees him up to be focused on doing the Lord's work. He has fewer restrictions, limitations on his time, fewer liabilities, or, or shall we say interests to keep his attention focused on. His attention is not as divided as he would be if he were in a relationship. Now, it's important to recognize, I think here, sometimes we can, we can, um, fall victim to this idea that, well, you know, being single, it's, it's just easier. You know, you have, you have less you have to worry about. And, and that is not the case. I mean, in some ways, being single can be harder because at least when you're married, you have two people you can divide and conquer some of the different things. You, you've got the laundry and the bills and the housekeeping and, and the landscaping and, and the food and all the stuff you have to do to keep all of that life running. And you've got two people that can share those responsibilities. And when you're single, you don't have that. And so in some ways, being single can be more difficult. But what Paul's getting at here is not the responsibilities of life. He's not saying it's easy to be single. Paul didn't have an easy life. We know that. He's saying that your attention can be more focused. And so his attention can be so focused on serving the Lord and ministry. Whereas if he had a wife and kids, then part of his attention would rightly need to go there. And he wouldn't be as free in the sense of being able to travel all over the place all the time, live in a different place for two, three years, live in a different place for two, three years, and spend all of his time there focused on the ministry, not having to worry about how am I providing for my family, where are my kids getting their education, all the responsibilities of being a husband and a father. I think what we can take away from this is very clearly that to be single is not to be broken. Don't think that to be single is to be broken. That is not at all what we should get from the idea that, that God designed Adam to have a partner initially. Uh, churches sometimes make the mistake, and I've talked about it here before, 
of revolving everything around marriages and around families and not recognizing the fact that there are singles in the church who an argument could be made are actually more useful for the kingdom than those who are married. And and marriage is an institution created by God and it's a wonderful thing and, and we should have an emphasis on that in certain places and we should teach people how to do that well, but we can't do that to ignore the singles because to be single is not to be broken. If being married is the measure or is one measure of success for an adult Christian, then Paul and Jesus were failures. So we've got to understand that. To be single is not to be broken. But we can even go further than that. If we go back to verse seven, if you've still got that open in your Bible, Paul says, but I wish everyone were single just as I am. And then he says, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So Paul views singleness as a gift. It's a gift from God. Now, I know a lot of singles that don't view it that way. But that's what Paul says. Singleness can be a gift from God. How can it be a gift? Well, singleness can be a gift from God for a higher purpose. There's a higher purpose to it. If you jump down in the chapter, look at verse 32. Paul says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking about how, thinking how to please him, thinking how to please God. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided, he says. And then he goes on to say it's the same thing for the woman. An unmarried woman can be focused on serving the Lord. A married woman has other interests that are good interests. They're not wrong. They're not bad but her attention will be divided. And so for some people, singleness is a gift from God and it is the way that you will serve God best in this life. You don't have to be married. Everyone will have a season of singleness. No one's born married, but not everyone will have a season of marriage. And of course, some people will have a season of singleness and then a season of marriage and then a season of singleness again. And and that's okay. Don't think that to be single is to be broken. Recognize that singleness can be a gift from God to serve him better. Now, another trap that I see singles falling into sometimes is that thinking that marriage is going to fix a lot of things in their life. Marriage is going to make things so much better for them. And we can even get there from Genesis chapter two. We look at that and we see God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And every man says, that's right. It's not good for the man to be alone. Where's my partner? Where is the one that I can pair up with? And yet we have to understand that's God speaking about the first man of the human race. It was not good for that man to be alone. The first man in the human race needed a partner or there'd be no human race. There was a mandate to fulfill. There was a be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and rule over it. And that could not happen unless there was a partner and they could have offspring and they could continue to fill the earth. That does not mean that God's goal for every person is for them to have a marriage partner. We know that that's true because of like Jesus and Paul and, and Paul's instructions to us. It's not that every person has to get married, but it's certainly not that marriage is gonna fix things for you. That's point number three about how to be single. Don't think that marriage will make you whole. Don't think that marriage will make you whole. Listen to what Paul says in Colossians. He says, for in Christ lives all the fullness of God in a human body, so you also are complete through your union with, not a spouse, but with Christ. You're complete through your union in Christ. That's what makes you whole. That's what makes you complete. He's the head over every ruler and authority. Peter says in 2 Peter, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Some people think, oh, I just, I need a spouse. I need a partner. I need, I need someone that's going to make me whole and complete. And Peter says, no, no, no. God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We received all this by coming to know 
not our spouse, but him. It's through knowing God, through knowing Jesus, that's how we become complete. The one who has called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. You have everything you need to live a complete, fulfilling, and godly life by knowing Jesus Christ and getting to know him well. It's your intimacy with God and that relationship that can make you whole and complete. Now, God can use the marriage relationship to help refine you and grow you, but God can also use other things to help refine you and grow you in this life. So marriage can be a part of that journey, absolutely, but it is not a necessary part of that journey for everyone. Don't think that marriage is going to make you whole. Don't think that marriage is going to fix you. Marriage is going to amplify whatever is already there. God can use that marriage to refine and and grow you, but that doesn't mean that he can't use other things as well. So don't think that to be single is to be broken. Recognize that singleness can actually be God's gift so that you're more useful in his kingdom. And don't think that marriage is going to make you whole. So that's what I have to share with singles today. And I think it's important that we cover that. But I also want to talk about those singles who are interested in dating, who are interested in finding someone or finding another someone. If, if, if you're a, a widow or widower, something has not worked out in a marriage. What do you do when you're looking for a partner and how do you do that well? I want to give you kind of like Paul. I want to give you some wisdom uh, that comes from my experience. And I want to give you some wisdom that comes from the Lord. Okay. And I'll try to be kind of clear about which is which as we go here. But the the first thing I'm going to give you has to do with my own personal experience, because back when I was getting started in ministry, most of my ministry was to young adults. I mean, that's who I spent hundreds and hundreds of young adults. That's who I spent all my time with. And one of the most common complaints that I received, and Jenny, you probably received this as well, is usually from the ladies. Where have all the good guys gone? Where, where are those godly young men that love Jesus? Because I'm not finding them. Show them to me. And it was interesting because this would, this would turn into this sort of bitter complaining about they just don't exist. And I would say, oh, they exist because I work with them. I'm meeting with them. Like I know dozens of these guys. So I learned to ask two questions. And sometimes it was the guys asking this way about the girls. But I learned to ask two questions. Number one, where are you looking? Because that makes a huge difference. Where are you looking? And that was really a lead up to this follow-up question, which is the really important one. And this is not necessarily based on scripture, although I think I could connect the dots to get there. Where are you serving? If you're a single person wanting to meet people who not just have a faith in Jesus, but are willing to put that faith into action, I can tell you the most effective way to narrow down that pool is to go where faith has to be put into action and serving in some way. Now that's not directly out of scripture, but if you want to find someone that's living out their faith in Jesus, you've got to find people who are interested in serving. And of course, you don't want to go and and serve just to find a partner. You should go for other reasons than that. But if you're not involved in serving yourself, then of course, you're not going to meet those people who are willing to put their faith into action. So go where Christian singles are serving. That's my first point about how to, how to date, go to, go where Christian singles are serving. If you want to find people to get connected with. But the second thing I want to share with you is also a bit of personal wisdom, but it also, I can connect the dots to scripture here too. And that is be clear with your intentions, be clear about what this is and what it isn't on the front end and the back end of the relationship. And so when you're going to uh, have 
when you're interested in someone, and this is, of course, mostly for the guys. It usually tends to be the guys that ask girls out. And even today, these days, the studies continue to show that usually the ladies prefer the guys to ask them out. And here's what I'm saying. Just be clear about what this is. I remember what it was like when I started dating. And initially, you, you don't want to you know, make it too serious right away. So it's all, do you want to hang out? Do you want to go grab coffee? Do you want to go to a movie together? And eventually I learned that the entire time the ladies are wondering, what is this? What are we doing here? Can I have some clarity around expectations and, and what your idea about, are we just hanging out? And I had to have some, you know, define the relationship conversations at different times because we were on different pages about what we thought it was. Now, by the time I asked Jenny out on our first date, I was very clear because I had learned that lesson. I said, do you want to go out on a date? And so clarity is very important. Be clear with your intentions. On the back end, you need to be clear as well. If, if this relationship can't continue, don't stretch it out and hem and haw and drag it on and make up excuses and ghost each other. Just be clear. Just say, hey, I don't think this is, this is going to work out. I don't think this is right. You know, be, be honest without being hurtful and be clear and transparent in what your intentions are. Proverbs 24, 26 says, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. Now, I don't want to rush into the kiss of friendship thing too much. It says, an honest answer is like a kiss of friendship. It's just an analogy, okay? Honesty, transparency, truthfulness. What is this? What are we dealing with right now? Be clear. And then on the back end, Proverbs 27, 6 says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Listen, ambiguity produces anxiety. Ambiguity produces anxiety. So be clear, be honest. Even if this isn't gonna work out anymore when you're dating someone, just be real, be honest. And wounds from a friend, they sting in the moment. But eventually you look back and you say, I'm so glad they were honest with me. I'm so glad they just told me. Yeah, it hurt. I didn't enjoy going through that, but it was better than a long stretched out process. So be clear with your intentions. Number three, date with purity. Date with purity. Now we talked last week about God's design for sexual intimacy and how it's meant to be part of the marriage relationship and sex outside of marriage always complicates the relationship. Sex inside of marriage when done God's way can strengthen the relationship but date with purity. What people always want to know is where's the line? Where do we draw the line? Can you just point me to that verse in the Bible that says, this is how far you shall go. No further shall you go when it comes to physical contact. And that's not in there. I'm sorry. There is no definite line when it comes to physical contact in the Bible where it says, this is how far you should go. And I think that's because there is an element of culture to this. There's an element of personal conviction to this. Uh, there is an element where you have to wrestle through this and wrestle through this together with the person that you're dating to figure out where is that line? Where's that boundary for us? But I do have some wisdom I want to share with you on that. And it comes from Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, 23 says, and he's talking about food here, but it's a principle that applies to everything in life. Everything in life where you don't find a verse in the Bible that says, thus saith the Lord. This is a command from the Lord. This verse applies. It says, but if you have doubts, about whether or not you should eat something, you can replace eat something with do anything. You are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. You see, convictions can be different for different people, and according to God, you not following your convictions is a sin for you. Now, someone else not following your convictions is not a sin for you. They better be following their convictions and you need to follow your convictions. And so God has designed some flexibility in how we're supposed to live and operate because for certain people, based on your personal temptations, your personal passions, as Paul put it, and your ability for self-control, for certain people, that line needs to be backed way up. 
And that's a personal conviction that you need to come to. And if you get to a point where you doubt whether you should go beyond that and you do it anyway, then Paul says, then for you, that is sin. And so you need to have honest conversations. He says at the end of this, if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. And see, that's often the case. We often have a sense for, I don't think I should go beyond this point. But then in the moment, you you get heated up about it and the desire is there and the passion is there and you just decide I'm gonna do it anyway. And if you had doubts, it doesn't matter where the line technically was from God's perspective. If you had doubts about it, he said, well, then that's where the line is. For me and for you, that's my line for you. Don't cross that or else you are sinning. Now, I also want us to remember something very important here. That, it, that when someone messes up, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and they make mistakes in their dating life. It's not like Jesus says to that person, okay, you're damaged goods, I have no use for you now. When I was a teenager, we had someone come into our youth group and they had this red construction paper that they had cut out into the shape of a heart. And they talked with all of us about the importance of purity and dating and what that looked like. They probably used the word courting, if I'm being honest. And, and they proceeded to talk about how every time you have physical contact with someone of the opposite sex that's of any kind of romantic notion, it's like you're tearing a piece of that heart off and they would rip a little piece of that heart off and giving them a piece of your heart. And then you go over here and you you hold hands with someone. It's like you're tearing a piece of your heart off and you're giving them a piece of that heart. And you do this with all these different people and they continue to rip pieces off of the heart. And eventually they got to the point where there's just a little sliver left. And they said, and then when you finally find the person that you wanna be with for the rest of your life and you go to marry them, this is all you have to give them. What a terrible thing to say to young Christians. There is no shred of grace or redemption or forgiveness. That doesn't look like how Jesus treated people at all. When Jesus was talking with people who had gotten involved in incredible amounts of sexual sin, what was his answer to them? Well, they were repentant and they came to him. They believed in him. And he said, go and sin no more. First, he said, I don't condemn you. And then he said, go and sin no more. See, Jesus didn't preach purity culture in the way it's often been taught in the churches the last few decades. Jesus preached purity and forgiveness culture, purity and redemption culture. So, so I don't want people who have messed up to think, oh, I'm damaged goods and oh, I have less to offer. That's not the way God teaches us in his word at all. It doesn't mean we should go on sinning. Paul's clear about that too. Should we go on sinning? He says that grace may abound. God forbid. No, it's not that we should continue in sin. As Jesus said, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. Live the right way, date with purity, but also recognize that with Jesus, there is forgiveness, there is redemption. You're not damaged goods. In fact, there's an argument to be made, and we talked about this, that those who have messed up, Jesus says that they have more love to show and appreciation to show for for the forgiveness that they've received. And God actually appreciates that, which is really interesting. Number four, date to evaluate. Date to evaluate. Don't date casually. Definitely don't date for sex, obviously. I think I made that pretty clear last week. Dating is a job interview, in a sense. Dating is not just for fun. I mean, you know, have fun and enjoy your time together and your conversation together and all those and the things that you do together, the activities. But the most important aspect of this is it's a job interview. And let me tell you what that job interview should look like because the world gets this completely backwards, okay? The appropriate path for the job interview is this. We start with values, then we go to feelings, and then we go to whatever physical contact looks like in dating and eventually in marriage. 
That's the progression that you need to take when you are dating someone and eventually marrying someone. Now, how does the world do this? Well, the world starts with the physical. The world starts with it's all about the physical attraction. I'm not saying you shouldn't be physically attracted to the person, but before you even start dating, you need to have some idea of do our values match? Or at the very least, if you're just getting started on the first date where this is to explore things, you start with values. You start with, do we share, do we have alignment in what we believe together? But the world starts with the physical things and then moves on to the feelings. And then lastly, when we're right about to, to tie the knot, we start to get into the values and we realize, oh, we might have some problems here. Or what's worse, after we get married, then we start to realize, oh, well, I want to raise kids this way, but I want to raise kids this way. See, the world waits until the very end to start talking about the values. We need to do that right up front. Have those conversations, if you can, before you even start dating. Just in conversation. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? You know, bring it up in whatever nonchalant way you can, but start to find out the values of the person before you get into the feelings conversations because that goes to a new level of depth and connection that you form. And then definitely before you get into the physical things, you've got to already know that there is values alignment and then you have some feelings conversations, you get into more of the deeper emotional things and then you save the physical aspect for last and certainly a big chunk of that physical aspect for after you are married. Always remember this, dating is a process to move through, not a status to sit in. There's no need to be a perpetual dater. There's no need to be dating someone for three years. Dating is a job interview. It's a process of evaluating. You are there to evaluate, is this person going to be a good fit for me? And if not, you figure that out and you say, I don't think this is going to work. But you don't just sit in there forever. That is the way to date well. Because otherwise, you've got the worst of both worlds, right? Think about what Paul said about when you're single, your attention is undivided. Well, now you're not in a marriage relationship yet, so you're not building a family and honoring God that way, but you're also, your attention is still divided because you're still with this other person and they have a lot of your attention. So figure out what we're doing here. Don't live in that dating situation for too long. Dating is a process to move through, not a status to sit in. Number five, don't evaluate alone. You date to evaluate, but you don't evaluate alone. Sometimes when people get into dating relationships, they isolate themselves and they, they have the blinders on because they're so infatuated by the other person, they're attracted to them and that's wonderful, but then they don't see the yellow flags that other people around them see. And so if you're dating and you're evaluating, make sure you've got some other people who can evaluate with you and who can speak into your life that you'll listen to because they may see things you won't see and you need to listen to them. They may not be right, but you should at least listen because maybe there is some truth to what they're saying. There's something you need to dig into deeper. This is especially true at the values level. When you are just in love with this person and you want to spend all your time with them and someone you know and you trust says, yeah, but they believe in this and you don't. That's something to dig deeper into. Figure out that values piece and that can be helped by not, dating, not evaluating alone. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. So have many advisors when you date. That's a lot about how to date. Let me talk about who to date. Who is the kind of person that you should pursue if you're going to have a lifelong partner? The first thing I would say is you need to date someone with godly beliefs, values, and character. Date someone with godly beliefs. And obviously, first and foremost, their belief in Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians 6 is where we always go to for this. It says, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Don't even consider dating someone who does not match your beliefs, especially your belief in Jesus Christ. There, there's, there's this infatuation we can get into where we overlook these belief differences and we think, well, eventually, you know, they'll come around. Eventually, they'll be aligned. But you know what, what happens most of the time is that they compromise a little, you compromise a little. And instead of them coming over and aligning with solid biblical belief in Jesus and wanting to follow Jesus as strongly as maybe you do right now, what a lot of time happens is they're like, okay, I'm okay with some church stuff and you slip away from your walk with Christ even more and you both kind of meet in the middle. That's not a win. So don't date someone who is not a follower of Jesus. You wanna make sure there's alignment with your beliefs, with your values and with your character. Number two, date someone who values others as image bearers of God. We've talked about that a lot throughout this series, so I won't park here for very long, but they can't just like you for your looks. They can't just like you for what you do for them. They need to like you because you are a child of God. You are an image bearer of God. They need to value you as a person. And if they don't have respect for you because of who you are and respect you as a person, then that's not an individual that you want to stay with. Make sure they value you for more than just what you look like or what you can give to them. They need to value you as an image bearer of God or else they need to grow in their spiritual walk. Number three, date someone who is just as kind as they are attractive. First Corinthians 13 is the most requested passage I get to preach on at weddings. And it's usually the bride asking to preach on the love chapter. Can you make sure you hit this stuff in the love chapter? Why? Because it says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. Now, that is not to say you have to look for someone who is perfect in all of these things, because chances are you're not perfect in all of these things either. And I'm not perfect in all of these things, but generally speaking, this is the direction they should be going. And if you don't see elements of this patience and kindness and not being jealous or boastful, not proud or rude, not always demanding their own way, doesn't mean they can't have preferences. That doesn't mean they can't share them, but demanding that they get their, their way. That's not the kind of person that you want to date. You don't want to be in that relationship. That's a person who needs to grow in their walk with Christ before they're ready for a relationship with you. So date someone who is just as kind as they are attractive. Number four, date someone who is more trustworthy than they are wealthy. Date someone who is more trustworthy than they are wealthy. Proverbs 19.22 says, loyalty makes a person attractive. It is better to be poor than dishonest. Money seems really attractive, for sure. And resources and wealth seems like a good time. But you know what? That doesn't matter after a few years. Eventually, you get to a point where you realize the money isn't all it's cracked up to be if they're not faithful to me, if I can't trust them. When they tell me something, trustworthy matters more than money. It's better to be poor, Proverbs says, than dishonest. In the long run, loyalty and honesty are going to be so much more attractive than money and looks. Now, I want to put a bow on all of this 
by showing you all of these principles together. So date someone with godly beliefs, values, and character. Date someone who values others as image bearers of God. Date someone who is just as kind as they are attractive. Date someone who is more trustworthy than wealthy. And I've been talking about who to date, but now I want to flip this around by changing just one word and turn the lens on you. Now we're going to say, be someone with godly beliefs, values, and character. Be someone who values others as image bearers of God. Be someone who is just as kind as you are attractive. Be someone who is more trustworthy than wealthy. Your, your integrity, your trust should always be greater than what you have to offer monetarily. Back when I started working with young adults, I saw a lot of failed relationships. And I saw a lot of people rush into it too quickly before they were the kind of person that those statements would describe. And I started telling these people, you aren't ready to be in a relationship until you're content with being single. And, and the reason I would say that is because you have some more to work on before you're the kind of person that should be in a relationship with someone else. You need to be this kind of person with godly beliefs, values, and character. You need to be this kind of person who values others for who they are, not just what they can give to you. You need to be the person who is kind and patient and loving. You need to be someone who is trustworthy and has integrity and is honest with people. And until you can be that person and be comfortable in your own skin as that person and even content with being single so you're not rushing into a relationship, then you're probably not ready to be in a relationship. So wait and work on it and seek to grow. Not to be perfect. You don't have to wait till you're perfect. That's never going to happen. But if you're not a kind of person that can look at those four points and say, I'm moving in that direction in each of those. I'm getting better in each of those every month then you really need to focus on that. Spend more time becoming the kind of person that God wants you to be than trying to find the kind of person that you want to have. And chances are, as you become the kind of person God wants you to be, if marriage is a gift that God has for you, in that process, you will find the kind of person that God wants you to have. So focus on the right things. And then if you're, it's a season of singleness for you, treat it as a gift from God. If it's a season of marriage, treat it as a gift from God. But make sure that your relationship with him comes first in everything. And you will find so much more joy and satisfaction and fulfillment in life, whether he has marriage or singleness for you. I wonder if you'd all bow your heads with me for a minute as we close this in prayer. And just think, think about your own life. I'm sure for some people there are, there's more of this message that applies than others. Maybe for some of you this hits you right where it's at right now. And you're wrestling with that singleness aspect of it. And you need to see it as maybe a gift from God. Or for some of you, you're in dating mode right now or you want to be in dating mode at some point in the future and you need to make sure you approach that with the right mindset and with wisdom and with purity and with godly desires. For all of us, whether we're single or married or whatever status we have, we need to make sure that we are becoming the kind of person who is godly, who values people for, for how God made them, who is trustworthy, who is kind, who is loving. And so I'm going to pray for us right now. I'm going to ask that you just open your heart up to God on this. God, I'm going to ask you, would you show us that area that we need to surrender to you right now? What is that place that we have been wrong in? A longing that we have allowed to become an idol over and above our love for you. A desire for someone else or something else that has taken the place of our desire for you in our life. An area that we have not turned over to you that we're holding on to. Maybe it's our temper. 
Maybe it's our selfishness. Maybe it's our pride. God, I pray that you would help us to just turn that over to you right now, to confess it to you. And Lord, would you forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, God. Help us to be the kind of person that you want us to be and to accept the role you have for us in your kingdom and to go through it making wise decisions with great discernment as we ask you for wisdom, God. And in your name we pray, amen. Well, we're going to take the Lord's Supper now. Actually, I better come down here so we can do that. Thank you guys for leaving me a gap. And as we do this, we do this to remember the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. How he died on the cross, his body was broken. We'll take the bread as a representative of the body. His blood was shed. We'll drink some juice as a representative of the blood. And this is something Jesus told us to do to remember the sacrifice that he made for us over 2,000 years ago so that we could be known by him and loved by him and have that intimate relationship with him we've been talking about throughout this series. That's the most important intimate relationship we can have. So we do this today to remember his sacrifice for us. And sometimes communion can be a solemn time because of that. We're thinking about the death of Jesus Christ. But at the same time, we who are Christians know that it can also be a joyous celebration because he did that so that we can be one with him. We talked about being whole and complete and having everything we need for a godly life. We have that because of what this represents. We have that because of Jesus in our life. And that's a reason to celebrate. So we are going to distribute the elements right now. And I want to tell you, if you're new here, how we do this, just so that you're prepared. If you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, honestly, this isn't for you. I wouldn't participate in this. If I were you, I would just pass the, the tray on by. But if you are a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, then you are welcome to join with us. Take a stack of cups. The top cup is the juice and the bottom cup is the bread. And we will be taking the bread first. So you may want to separate those. If you need gluten-free wafers, they're available in the middle of the tray. We're going to distribute these now. And let me just encourage you to take a couple of minutes as we pass these around to go, bring your heart before God and say, Lord, is there anything in my life that I need to get right with you? Confess that to him. Treat this as an opportunity to just spend some time with you and your heavenly father. I believe everyone has been served. So let's take the Lord's Supper together, starting with the bread. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now let's take the cup together. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. <laughs> 